Hi, you're listening to the Duty of Care podcast, a podcast produced by the Faculty of Architecture and the Built Environment of the Delft University of Technology. This podcast is sponsored by the Delft Design for Values platform, the TU Delft platform discussing values for engineering and design. I'm Roberto Rocco, Associate Professor of Spatial Planning and Strategy at the Delft University of Technology. In 2019, the European Union launched its European Green Deal, aiming to make Europe carbon neutral by 2050. We all know the transition to a carbon neutral economy is urgent, but will it be fair? Past transitions have always produced winners and losers, with the losing groups often facing unemployment and poverty, with dire consequences for social cohesion and social justice. Therefore, an essential dimension of the European Green Deal is the concept of just transition, that is, a transition to a carbon-neutral economy that is fair and inclusive to all, leaving no one behind. Sustainable, fair and inclusive urbanization plays a key role in this endeavor. With those ideas in mind, we organized a series of online events and courses that address planning and designing cities and communities for the just transition. By bringing together expertise from spatial planning, urban sustainability and resilience, resilience engineering, ethics of resilience and multi-actor systems, we want to discuss the values in social technical transitions and urbanization, namely issues connected to distributive, procedural, and restorative spatial justice, as well as citizen participation, democracy, and sustainability, understood in its three essential dimensions, social, economic, and environmental sustainability. In doing so, we wish to address the interactions between design and values with an emphasis on operationalizing spatial justice through inclusive vision-making and by using societal conflicts stemming from the transition as springboards to dialogue. So, we came up with the idea of this podcast. We wish to discuss and exchange ideas with academics, practitioners, and students of the built environment to plan and design for the just transition with a robust understanding of the entanglement between spatial justice and sustainability. Today we have with us Efrat Cohen-Barr, a representative of Bincom, Planners for Planning Rights, an Israeli non-profit organization working to strengthen democracy and human rights in the field of planning. Planning in Israel has commonly been used as a tool to oppress Palestinians and strip them of their rights. Bincom uses Israeli law to combat this. Efrat the floor is yours. I would like to ask you to tell us a little bit more about what Bincom does. Uh, does uh, involving uh, citizens. How do you work with the citizens? Okay. okay. I mean, they are not even citizens because they don't have Israeli uh, 
citizenship, yeah, right? They are resident, but uh, actually we work with them like we work with other communities, even uh, citizens like the Bedouins in the Negev, they are citizens, the lower class in the neighborhood, Jews in the, in the neighborhoods, uh, in the center also, or in the south, uh, they are uh, citizens and we work with all of them. Uh, we work with the uh, planning authorities, and not only planning authorities, other author authorities. We work with communities. We never go alone to talk about this community or another. We first, we go meet the uh, community, for example, a, a small village, unrecognized village in the Negev, or a, a, a sub-neighborhood in East Jerusalem, or a small community in the in Area C. And, uh, um, and uh, so we work with, we start with them, we check with, the, with uh, these communities the, uh, the problems they, uh, they have. For example, they don't have a road leading to their place. Uh, in a small village in, uh, in area C and they they need a road or they have uh, they need uh, they don't they, they are in, living in an unrecognized village in the Negev and they don't have a, a school or a, a, or water so we we uh, work with them sometimes to get this recognition to to make the Israeli authority to recognize this small village after, and then, and so we wrote, we write together documents. Uh, we we uh, we talk, uh, we we work vis-a-vis -vis the authorities, and uh, sometimes in the Negev, for example, we have some success, and they, uh, some uh, villages were recognized as a location that they can stay there. So then we start the struggle for adequate uh, uh, planning, because uh, when Israel, the Jews are planning for, uh, for the Bedouin community, they uh, think about how uh, we live, not how, what the needs, the specific needs of this community and how they want to be. And they, so we, so we uh, uh, write together um, uh, a document, we call it, uh, um, how can I translate it to, to English? Um, um, principle, planning principle, so, and then with this we go, we we go to authority, and then we said we we need to plan this area in this way. Uh, in in other places, we we for example in Jerusalem, the the municipality usually they prepare plans, but they they prepare plans that are not allowing a lot of uh, uh, development, specifically development for. For housing, because as I mentioned, they don't want this community, this population, to grow in Jerusalem. So um, and now we in in uh, Jerusalem we face this uh, uh, phenomenon of planning a lot for the Palestinian uh, community, but uh, not for housing. So uh, the phenomenon of uh, building illegally is going to continue because they they must build, they must live somewhere. So we can go to court. We we submit objections to plans that are uh, for settlement uh, for Jewish uh, Jews, Israeli settlement or on land of Palestinians. 
we we are uh, in the urban renewal in the in the uh, youth uh, communities in the cities of Israel. We work with the authority to to strengthen the uh, uh, participation in planning and things like that. And there are lots of questions in the chat. I just want to, uh, to reinforce something that you explained is that uh, the uh, planning is used to oppress a part of the population, right? Uh, but yeah. I just want to highlight that this is not uh, something that happens only in Israel. It happens almost everywhere. Yeah. Um, in South Africa, in Brazil, in Colombia, uh, in the United States, uh, planning has been used to mm -hmm. separate, to uh, oppress, to, uh, uh, yeah, to discourage even um, people from, from uh, progressing. Mm -hmm. But uh, I'd like to go to the, to the chat and read a few of the questions. So um, maybe it's a good idea if you, if you uh, answer briefly because there are quite a few questions. There are quite a few questions about who pays for the infrastructure for the Palestinian um, uh, settlements. Okay. Okay. If there is no state, how does it? In East Jerusalem, it, uh, it, first, if there is, a, if uh, the the local location, the settlement is uh, recognized, uh, uh, for example, in the Negev, so uh, it is uh, paid by the the municipality uh, of this place. If it is uh, unrecognized, so there are no infrastructures, so. And, and if one wants to bring water to their home, they just, they have to pay and put these uh, these uh, pipes to bring the water by themselves. And this is that's what happens in the Negev. In the in the in the West Bank, the 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 it, the West Bank divided into three categories: A, area C, A, B, and C. So in area A. And B, the uh, the Palestinian Authority is responsible for the the, the uh, infrastructures and services. In Area C, the Israeli Authority they they play like there are no Palestinians. Area C is the place where the all the set the 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 Israeli settlement are located, and uh, they ignore that there are many many small. Uh, uh, settlements of of of, of uh, Palestinians, and they and they, uh, so they don't get any service at all. We had to go to court uh, to bring uh, uh, electricity. Uh, uh, otherwise, they uh, they use uh, 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 electricity uh, solar panels and they dig holes in the, in, the, in the ground to bring water, or they uh, bring water by in, in tanks. They just, uh, it is very, very expensive to get those services. In East Jerusalem, it is uh, the municipality, the Israeli, the United Jerusalem. So uh, uh, the, the Israeli municipality is responsible for those uh, infrastructures. Uh, but uh, when you, as I talked about these uh, playgrounds, uh, you can, when you look at the uh, uh, Israeli enabled uh, comparing to to Palestinian, you can see the difference. No uh, paved roads, no uh, uh, enough, not enough uh, schools, not enough classrooms, uh, 
not enough, uh, not enough playgrounds. There are quite a few questions about uh, how how the government, how the Israeli government uses building permits to control population. So they deny mm-hmm. building permits in some areas. Yeah, they they. It is first uh, before you you can ask for a permit. You have to have a land that is designated for development for housing. So the first stage uh, to limit this possibility of uh, development is to prepare to to make uh, plans for the, this area, or or first not to make any plan, or to make plans that uh, the development in it is very limited. Uh, uh, using uh, uh, less uh, building rights, uh, allowed only two floors uh, compared to 20 floors in West Jerusalem, allowing uh, a percentage, we we count, uh, we call it a percentage of building rights. It is, uh, uh, when you have uh, more percentage of building rights, you can build more. So in the plans that they prefer to, so then one have uh, a plan, a, a, a land, piece of land, and one wants to build a house there. And you can see that this uh, land is designated as a green area. A green area is not uh, any development, it's not a law allowed. So we cannot, uh, so then he has to start to ask to change the land designation. So they but, use uh, the designation of green area to actually um, forbid people from building, right? Yes, uh-huh. yes. And and not only the and then and and then uh, the area that is designated for uh, for housing, they give only a small amount of uh, building rights. So uh, you can build only two two apartments. There is a, a very interesting uh, question from my friend Ayn. She is asking. Um, this is clearly a, a spatial injustice, right? Does this contribute a lot to radicalization of, of youth? It depends. Uh, uh, even to be very, okay. You know, there are times that it is, uh, in some areas here, it is a bit dangerous to go out in the street. It is. It depends if we are in time of intifada, the first intifada, second intifada, the, 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 the third, and who knows. Uh, so sometimes it, people are, um, um, actually can bomb uh, uh, people, other people. But uh, let's talk about uh, just uh, regular days. Uh, yes, uh, the, the in East Jerusalem, for example, the poverty of the community there, uh, and sometimes the, the lack of uh, possibility to do anything in the in out of uh, they don't have a clubs or or or, or playgrounds as I, I said so they start throwing stones uh, on the uh, military forces and then and the, and the police and military enter houses they uh, it is a whole story I cannot I, you know. Just open newspaper and you can see that it happens all the time. And it is not only about planning, it is about this conflict. We have the, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict is here all the time. So sometimes it, it, it is more hidden and sometimes is out in the street and you can see it. Uh, but uh, we 
all the time live in this conflict? Yes, um, uh, there is a very interesting question from Stephen. He's asking if a, a Jewish citizen gets a, a building permit and builds a house, are they allowed to rent it to Palestinians? And do they do that? That's a very tricky question. First, uh, you should understand that uh, the most of the land in Israel is not owned by private people, but by the state. So most of the construction in the Israeli areas uh, are, are happening by the state or many uh, bodies of the states. Uh, the people who owned private land in Israel are Palestinians, mostly. Most of uh, them are also uh, uh, Jews that own land. So usually a private, uh, uh, no, there are private, of course, developers that they do ask for permit. And they are, they, if they will build illegally, they will, they, they are the same in this, uh, they are, um, maybe the authority will come and uh, to demolish this house. But when we compare, and that's uh, uh, Roberto, uh, this uh, chapter 14 of the book that you uh, published, I read it, and uh, he, he compared the, the, the difference between the, the, the difference of uh, uh, illegal building in West Jerusalem and East Jerusalem. In East Jerusalem, you find a, whole building that is illegal. In West Jerusalem, you can see a pergola, a pergola, a shade, a, a, sm a small shade, or maybe a, a half a floor that is, or, or the, the, the building was a bit larger, larger than, the, was built, a, was built a larger than in the permit. So it is a different kind of a illegality. And usually they pay tax and then they, they uh, go through process of uh, uh, make this uh, illegal building legal. And sometimes there, are, there is a demolition in West Jerusalem of a balcony or a half, an, a half, a half a floor uh, in, uh, in uh, West Jerusalem. So the, law, West the Jerusalem. law is applied very differently to different groups, isn't it? Yeah, but also the illegality is uh, different. When uh -huh. you prepare plans that allowed uh, development, uh, so people can build according to this plan. They can build, uh, they are allowed to build uh, 18 floors. Huge amount of um, square meters of uh, commercial and uh, employment and, uh, and housing. And uh, so they can, they, they must be a bit, uh, uh, they are not forced to be, uh, the, the Jews are not forced to build illegally. Mm -hmm. The Palestinians, they are forced to build illegally because yes. the, yeah. the plants are not, uh, they, it doesn't, uh, they are not allowed them to, to, to build enough for what yeah. they need. They are, they are forced into illegality, aren't they? Uh, there, there is a question from, from uh, Sally. She, how do you deal with the Israeli law that prevents many plans to happen? Uh, it's mainly, uh, do, do you go to the courts, as you mentioned? Is it the main? I, I, uh, we, in Bincom, usually we don't deal directly with the, the illegality of the, the construction of a house, because for this, you need lawyers. 
and the, the Palestinian community, they use a lot of lawyers, many lawyers, uh, and they go to court every, every single person must go to court, almost. But we try to deal with it before that, before the construction. We we try to, or, or after the construction, to make uh, illegal building legal uh, uh, by preparing plans. So we, we don't prepare plans by the, by ourselves, but we, uh, we uh, encourage uh, authority to prepare uh, plans. We work vis-a-vis in lobby, vis-a-vis uh, 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 -vis authorities, planning authorities, but also we go to court specifically when they, the authority they prepare, uh, for example, uh, a plan for a national park, uh, which takes all the land of two Palestinian communities in East, in, in East Jerusalem, and it limits the possibility of development in those two uh, neighborhoods. So we go to, first we object, we have this process in the planning, according to the planning law. Uh, uh, we, we, when the authorities submit uh, a plan, we, we go with the communities uh, and, and object this plan. Usually our objection is rejected. It is very, Almost all the objections, according to the law, uh, are, are rejected. And then we appeal to higher le level of the planning system, to the national uh, committee, we, uh, and we, we, we try to re-object the plan there. And then if we decide on this plan, and this is a fact uh, and part of the law, the plan become part of the law after they uh, approved it, we can go to court and we do it. When we start working with the community, we will go with the, this community all the way long uh, from the, the objection to the appeal to the to court and the, and the, and sometimes we can uh, we just hold the, we get time like mm -hmm. these processes are so long. Uh, we started some of them 20 years ago when we when the Bincom was established, and uh, so and we are still involved in some of this uh, uh, holding and stop the, the those uh, uh, unfair uh, plans that the authority is doing. Uh, look, uh, we are almost uh, done with our time, unfortunately. So um, the person is asking, well, you know. Uh, we know that Netanyahu uh, is never going to to accept uh, a, a Palestinian state. Uh, you know th that's the government that is there now. What are the chances that this is going to change? You think, Efrat, in the near future? <laughs> in the near future, that easy. Nothing is going to be to be changed in the near future. Mm -hmm. The question is uh, if there is some hope to. For change in the in the national uh, sphere, we we or the although those weak uh, communities they don't have any hope. Not only the Palestinians, but also the poor, the lower class, the, the poor people within Israel because of the conflict, but also the economic uh, stage and the ideas agenda 
for of the economic agenda in Israel is very doesn't count the poor. So uh, I don't know. We are waiting for the revolution. <laughs> Till the, the revolution will come. Uh, I think uh, maybe the question is uh, within the municipalities. It is about the cities that can uh, uh, change, make a change. But uh, I will say that it can happen in Israel if we're talking about those communities. Uh, the, the municipalities that can make a change are the Jewish municipalities. Mm-hmm. Not the Arabs in Israel, not the East Jerusalem. They they have to stay for this revolution. To, yeah, um, and the revolution will be made by the young people who are here today. This lecture was originally recorded for the Manifesto for the Just City workshop, organized in partnership with several schools, the Institute of Housing and Urban Development Studies of the Erasmus University in Rotterdam, the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign, the Winston-Salem State University in North Carolina, and a number of universities who took up this exercise as a class exercise, notably Morgan University in Baltimore and the Cape Peninsula University in Cape Town, South Africa. This event was organized by me, Caroline Newton, also from TU Delft, Hugo Lopez, Professor Russell Smith from Winston-Salem University, Carolina Luneta from IHS in Rotterdam, and Professor Faranak Miraftab from the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. This podcast is produced by Roberto Rocco and Hugo Lopez. Music by Hugo Lopez and Pablo Teixeira. Sound edition by Hugo Lopez. The Duty of Care podcast is sponsored by the Delft Design for Values Institute, the portal for Design for Values research, education outreach, and co-creation at Delft University of Technology, advancing knowledge, methods, and best practices in the area of Design for Values. The Duty of Care podcast is sponsored by the Delft Design for Values Institute, the portal for Design for Values research, education, outreach, and co-creation at Delft University of Technology, advancing knowledge, methods, and best practices in the area of Design for Values. If you're listening to this podcast on Apple Music, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify, and if you want to learn more about spatial justice and our duty of care towards the planet and each other, Don't forget to hit subscribe. See you next time.